You are listening to the Blooming Inspired Podcast Network. We exist to empower the voices of women who live their lives blooming alive through podcast community. Now, here is your host. Blooming Inspired Podcast, equipping and empowering the voices of women who live their lives blooming alive. So when we finished off with my reading last week of Defining Moments from Bill Johnson's book, um, we landed in Georgia with Wesley and the Moravians after a very troublesome ship crossing from England. And Bill writes that Wesley originally wanted to come and do evangelistic work with Native Americans, but he was instead appointed as a minister to the um, Anglican Church in Savannah. He actually began to pursue a woman after he moved here, but one of the Moravians actually discouraged him from pursuing that woman, so she eventually married someone, agreed to marry someone else, and because John Wesley refused to offer her communion, probably because his feelings were hurt and he really wanted to marry her, but he didn't because of the advice of this Moravian missionary. See, the Moravians had a great influence with him. And so he ended up in a lawsuit, discredited in his ministry, went back to England at the end of December 1737. In February of 1738, he, after he had returned to London, he met another Moravian minister. This man's name was Peter Bowler. And he began to speak regularly with him on theological matters. And then in March of that year, Bowler really kind of became a catalyst to Wesley, and he encouraged him to preach faith regardless of his struggles with his own. Do you hear that? He, he encouraged him to preach about the faith, even though Wesley was greatly struggling because of his issues that happened around this in Savannah. He was greatly struggling with faith and self-doubt. And he writes, immediately it struck into my mind, leave off preaching. How can you preach to others who have not faith yourself? I asked Boulder whether he thought I should leave it off or not, and he answered, by no means. I asked, but what can I preach? He said, preach faith till you have it. Then because you have it, you will preach faith. Accordingly, Monday the 6th, I began preaching this doctrine. Though my soul started back from the work, the first person to whom I offered salvation by faith alone was a prisoner under sentence of death. So he lost his public ministry, but now he began to minister to individuals. Several things happened during this time that caused Wesley to do some deep reflection. His brother died, and then in May, Wesley wrote two direct letters to a mentor, William Law, who had influenced his thinking for the past 12 years. And he challenged Law's views and asked why he had never taught him about saving faith before. Do you get this? So here is John Wesley, he has been discredited in his ministry in Savannah because he allowed his feelings to influence the way he ministered. Then he meets this Moravian missionary who encourages him that even though he's struggling in his faith, to preach salvation by faith. 
which leads Wesley to a different kind of experience with God, which causes him to question things he's been taught and challenge things he's been taught. The old teaching brought torment under the law, while the newer revelation Bowler taught made it easy to have full assurance of faith in Christ alone. Rather than having to work for salvation and live in suspense, waiting to know if one had received it, immediate assurance of one's conversion was possible. Around this time, John's brother Charles was so sick, Bowler visited him. Charles became convinced of this new teaching and was the first from the Holy Club to experience assurance of salvation. He was also healed that same day, Sunday, May 21st, 1739. So with the faith, with the salvation experience, Charles, who was infirmed in his body, experienced miraculous healing. And on May 24, 1738, after his theological understanding had been shaken and his brother received assurance of salvation, Wesley's heart was opened wide. Wesley said he had continual sorrow and heaviness in his heart that week. Then at about five in the morning on Wednesday, he opened his Bible to Second Peter 1, 4, and it was highlighted to him that he could become a partaker of the divine nature. He was also struck by Mark twelve thirty four and realized that he was not far from the kingdom of God. Catch this. He realized he could be a partaker of the divine nature and that he was not far from the kingdom of God. And he had been in heavy grief that week before. And then God woke him up early in the morning. Later that same day, Wesley was invited to go to St. Paul's in London. The anthem was, Out of the deep I have called unto thee, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. After wrestling with a potential paradigm shift in his theology for weeks beforehand, Wesley hesitantly went to another meeting that night. It is interesting to note the opposition in his heart leading up to the going meeting. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street. See, Aldersgate becomes very important. That's what Bill told us in the beginning, where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans, and he's talking about Martin Luther. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. I began to pray with all my might for those who had, in a more especial manner, despitefully used me and persecuted me. I then testified openly to all there that I now first felt in my heart. Immediately after this love encounter, this love encounter, Wesley had a love encounter with God that changed his heart and gave him assurance of salvation. Wesley was bombarded with doubt and spiritual attack. The enemy quickly attempted to discount and to steal what God had just done in him. After my return home, I was much buffeted with temptations, but I cried out and they fled away. Submit to God, resist the devil, and the devil must flee. That's what it says in the book of James. They returned again and again, and I, I as often lifted up my eyes, and he sent me help from his holy place. And herein I found the difference between this and my former state chiefly consisted. I was striving, yea, fighting with all my might under the law as well as under grace. But then I was sometimes, if not often, conquered, 
Now I was always conquered. If Wesley had partnered with the enemy's lies and discarded his spiritual experience as mere emotionalism, he might have missed out on the more that God had for him. So his immediate effects of the Aldersgate experience was he no longer felt conquered. He was always the conqueror. You got it? Oh, come on. He says, but when I was sometimes, if not often, conquered before, now I was always the conqueror. After his heart was strangely warm, Wesley no longer felt conquered, as he had many times before. Now he was always the conqueror. He realized the salvation came by faith in Christ alone and that God's grace was freely available for all. He also prayed for his enemies and testified openly of what God had done in him. He overcame fear, doubt, and temptation, and the very next day was in a state of bliss with his Savior. Okay, so then the the Great Awakening is launched. He spent three months learning from the Moravians in Germany before returning to England just prior to the end of the year. After a night of prayer and worship with his community on New Year's Eve, something similar to Pentecost hit them in the early morning hours. Monday, January 1st, Mr. Hall, Kitchen, Ingham, Whitefield, George Whitefield, Hutchins, and my brother Charles were present at our love feast in Fetter Lane with about 60 of our brethren about 3 in the morning. As we were continuing instant in prayer, the power of God came mightily upon us, insomuch that many cried out for exceeding joy, and many fell to the ground. As soon as we were recovered a little from what that awe and amazement at the presence of His Majesty, we broke out with one voice, We praise Thee, O God, we acknowledge Thee to the Lord. So this built community... They had already begun to build community through pursuing holiness. And then they have this encounter. And then the Great Awakening was launched through this same community that had this specific encounter on March 1739. And this is when Wesley began his open-air preaching. He stepped outside of his comfort zone and activated his deposited anointing with even greater success. He continued to preach at churches when he was invited, but he also preached in fields, cottages. He did not let location hinder him. He taught wherever he could get people to listen to what he had to say. A stone was laid in Bristol for the first Methodist meeting house, and Wesley also began to approve and release local people to preach who were not ordained by the Anglican Church. This was untraditional at the time and became a key factor in the rapid spread of Methodism. Wesley began to see manifestations of the Holy Spirit that he was not accustomed to seeing. In the summer of 1739, Wesley and Whitefield conversed on this subject. I had an opportunity to talk with him of those outward signs which had so often accompanied the inward work of God. I found this objection, his objections were chiefly grounded on gross misrepresentations of matter of fact. But the next day, he had an opportunity of informing himself better, for no sooner had he begun in the application of his sermon to invite all sinners to believe in Christ than four persons sunk down close to him almost in the same moment. One of them lay without either sense or motion. This is what we call today's being slain in the Spirit. A second trembled exceedingly. The third had strong convulsions all over his body, but made no more noise unless by groans. Have you ever seen this? 
The fourth, equally convulsed, called upon God with strong cries and tears. And from this time, I trust we shall all suffer God to carry on his own work in the way that pleaseth him. It is hard to comprehend how something so impossible to understand could bring people to Christ. What many people will think will offend others actually attracts them. It is the mystery of this wonderful gospel for God to display himself as he pleases and expect humanity to adjust. I want to ask you. What has happened in your life that you have had to adjust to? You see, I used to think that being slain in the Spirit was not a real thing. I was raised um, referring to those people as holy rollers, and I don't mean that derogatory. I'm really kind of a holy roller myself, and my, my family recognizes that I'm a holy roller myself. But at the same time, I want to point out that God has a plan for us. And unless we're willing to surrender our life to him completely and let him do what he pleases, we will miss out on some of the greatest encounters with God we could ever hope to have. And I know this by experience. I know this because my life has forever been changed because I've experienced his goodness. I've experienced his joy. I've experienced his, his love over me. Even I feel that presence on my life. I feel that presence in what I speak. When I'm writing, I feel that presence. I, it's a tangible thing that I can identify and say, this is different than what I normally experience. And I want to ask you, when have you had that experience? When have you had a radical encounter with the truth and the person of God? With the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus' last commandment to his disciples was not go, but it was wait. As he ascended to heaven, just as the beginning of the book of Acts opens and Luke writes that he said, wait in Jerusalem until the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You see, I believe wholly that we are completely indwelled by the Holy Spirit in our spirit from the moment of salvation. And, that, and with that indwelling comes a complete spiritual sanctification. But I believe the power to live a victorious, overcoming, godly life comes from a continual filling of my soul and my being with the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is that deposit that guarantees my salvation that makes the other filling possible. So I want to ask you today, have you had that kind of experience with God? I just want to pray for you. I want to pray for the Holy Spirit to come to you in his fullness and fill you to overflowing. And I want to encourage you to get up and start every day asking for that filling and the Holy Spirit to come to you. And I want you to praise him. You know, I was listening to a message by Bill Johnson. I, I do listen to him an awful lot. A lot of what he teaches resonates, resonates with what I'm hearing 
from God. And so I just wanted to um, take a moment to pray for you, but I want to tell you this. He was talking about that in 1979, God gave him a word out of Isaiah 60, and he has carried that word burning in his heart for the church of God all these years, for 40 years. And he began to speak on this message, and he said, here's the thing. Once I begin to discern and understand what God's intentions, what his plans are, I'm obligated, because now I know how to pray, to pray and contend for what I know he has planned to do. I have a responsibility to what he reveals to me. I want revelation from God. I want to empower women to find their voice and roar the way I prophesied yesterday that that I was hearing God saying, it's coming, it's almost time. He's about to release the lioness to roar. So today, God, I pray for every woman, especially within the sound of my voice, that she would be overcome by the power of your Holy Spirit, that she would feel it in her innermost being, that it would burn like fire in her bones, that she would have to, she would be so consumed by the Holy Spirit, she would have no choice but to speak and teach and give away what you are filling her up with. I pray every person that comes in to an encounter with these that you have given my voice to, that you would uh, cause them to have a radical encounter with your Holy Spirit, that it would be contagious and sticky and it would get off of us and onto them. See, it's you, God, who who moves and acts and it's you who gives us the ability to find how to move and live in our very being itself. And so I just come before you and I humbly submit to you that this is no power of mine, but it is of a great and mighty God. And we want to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I want to fulfill my calling, the calling that you have placed on my life to cultivate and grow wildflowers, to reproduce myself upon the earth, to create a beautiful landscape for your glory. And so, Lord, I pray you would call the wildflowers in, call them in for your good and call them in to your glory. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you, Spirit. It's all about you, Papa. And we submit ourselves to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's all the time we have today. I would like to invite you to come through my mid-year reset. starts next Monday, May 20th, and we will be meeting online in what they call a Zoom meet conference. And um, I will be teaching you all about this new visual planner and journal that I'm using to organize and orchestrate and effectively execute what God has put in my life to do. And it's a legacy building life experience tool that allows me to imaginatively and creatively and intuitively and practically track the things and and the the challenges and the experiences of my life in one document and so i'm very very excited about that and i cannot wait to and i cannot wait to get started on that next week um we've got some exciting things that are going to start happening i have another 
um, conference and opportunity that I'm developing with my friend Michelle Terman. And I can't wait to bring that to you. It's going to be about the prophetic. And so be looking for that. But go online right now today. Go to facebook.com forward slash blooming inspired. Find the visual planner and journal workshop and click the link and register for this upcoming mid-year reset. If you haven't accomplished nearly what you had hoped to at the first of the year this year, this is for you. I hear God saying, as I drove out of my house last week, contemplating that, that the mid-year reset, I heard him say, this is not just about your calendar. This is about what I'm doing in the earth. God's about to hit the reset button. Let's position ourselves to be a maximum impact for His kingdom in the days ahead. Thank you for listening. And I want to remind you, as I always do, that blooming where you're planted is the first step to living your wildest dreams. So live your lives blooming alive. Thank you for listening to the Blooming Inspired Podcast on the Blooming Inspired Podcast Network. This show airs Tuesdays and Thursdays, 11 a.m. Central Time. Please take a moment to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast. You can also learn more about this podcast, its network, or the ministries of Blooming Inspired Network by visiting bloominginspirednetwork.com and clicking the podcast link at the top of the page.